Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Good morning. Uh, we're going to be continuing in our series in uh, 1 Corinthians, and this morning we're hitting a, a chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, where I honestly cannot remember ever hearing like a sermon or a message or a teaching on this particular chapter. And uh, yet, I think this chapter's got some real valuable stuff uh, for us. So if we take a look at the first uh, verse of the thing, it says, let love be your highest goal. That's a carryover from 1 Corinthians 13. And then he says, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. The ability to prophesy. You know, it was just a couple of weeks ago at a high school in New Jersey where this high school sophomore brought in a little piece of fiesta wear. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but this was, I think it's still big, but it was huge during the Depression. And it was like a quarter-sized piece that he brought in and he had it in like a plastic bag. And uh, he wanted to use it to demonstrate, like, calibrating a Geiger counter, okay? So uh, he brought it in on January 4th, and uh, it was just sat there and everything. And then uh, by January 8th, somebody figured out, hey, this is a red, it was painted red. And during the Depression, they would sometimes use uh, traces of uranium oxide in the red paint. So all, then everything broke loose, and soon there were, like, hazmat teams there, people dressed up, you know, all covered up, you know, emptying the school. The kids are all out on the football field as it's evacuated. Six police cars show up at the kid's house, and uh, including one from the prosecutor's office. And eventually um, the kid, like, told these guys, you know, check it out in scientific manuals and stuff. There's less radiation coming from this than even the average thing in an antique store. But it just made me think, in the year, the year 2020, I think will be remembered as the year of overreaction. And I think we're still in that kind of phase. Overreaction. Overreaction on a medical front. Overreaction on a political front. And we're continually, you know, through the year being bombarded with messages like, be afraid, be very afraid, be angry, be outraged. And it's just like, be discouraged and just... And you know what? It, even as followers of Jesus, this stuff permeates our lives too. You know, and we find ourselves becoming more and more fearful, more and more anxious. We find ourselves getting angry about stuff that we probably shouldn't be getting angry about. And finding ourselves so many times just discouraged and getting down and even in the depths of despair. And we've, you can see it in our country where people are hiding in their homes and you've got riots in all kinds of major cities and even culminating in the capital. And I think, you know, as I'm looking at this chapter and as I'm thinking about the situation, in 2021, I need to have better words in my life. I need to have better words in my life. And in 1 Corinthians 14, that's what we're going to be looking at. And the first thing that Paul talks about here is tongues, better words, tongues. Now, Doug mentioned this a couple weeks ago when he talked about 1 Corinthians 12, one of the gifts. But this uh, tongues is like a supernatural prayer language. Now, Doug mentioned how he has this gift and many other believers do. This is a gift that I prayed for especially a lot when I was uh, 
a new believer, and I never received this gift. So what I'm going to share with you this morning in this section is, is not from my experience, but it's from what the Bible says, which, by the way, is 100 times more reliable. So let's just take a look at what it says. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, it says, If you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. So when we talk to God, we call that prayer, don't we? We could just describe this as a supernatural prayer language that bypasses the mind. Somehow we're, we're speaking to God, but we're not really understanding uh, in our minds what we're, what we're even saying. And it goes on uh, later in the chapter. I'm going to kind of bounce around here to be efficient. But uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 13, So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit's praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. So even as the speaker, I don't, I don't really understand what I'm saying. Um, later on, in verse 15, he says, Well, then, what shall I do? I'll pray in the Spirit, and I'll also pray in words I understand. I'll sing in the Spirit, and I'll also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You'll be giving thanks well enough, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. So he, he describes it in terms of like four things here, right? He's going, you're praying, you're singing in the Spirit uh, at times, you praise God, and you're also giving thanks. So it's like a, a language of communication, just speaking the greatness of God and thanking Him and praising Him. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 4. He says, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. He may not understand what he's saying at all, but it somehow strengthens him. And that's why Paul says in verse 5, I wish you could all speak in tongues. Now, my question was always like, how exactly does this strengthen somebody? And um, you know what? Uh, Jojo mentioned this before when she was leading worship, but she mentioned Psalm 8, verse 2. And in Psalm 8, verse 2, just to reiterate that, it says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Praising God, thanking God, you know, lifting up his name and worshiping him. This is a powerful spiritual weapon. I have a colleague at school who is really in the last maybe uh, nine months to a year has really been struggling with anxiety issues. And he told me, he says, the thing that has the most power that is the strongest spiritual weapon is worship. So when he goes out there and he leads worship, when he praises the Lord, he says it's like something happens in the spiritual realm. It's like Satan cannot stand against the name of Jesus being lifted up in praise. That's a powerful, powerful weapon. And, you know, there's a good example of this in the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, this old Christian classic by David Wilkerson. Wilkerson was this country preacher who came to New York City because he felt the Lord was telling him. He saw this article about these young kids who were in a street gang who had committed murder and they were going to trial. And he thought the Holy Spirit was saying to him, you need to go and you need to share the gospel with these kids. And so he actually went there, just you know, drove his truck or whatever it was to New York City and started this ministry that became very powerful. 
And there were a number of these, these guys who were, you know, street gang members who became followers of Jesus. But these guys also had this big problem with, like, heroin addiction or drug addicts. And what he did was he would pray with these guys, these new believers, and he'd pray with them for this gift. And when they received this gift, he would encourage them to pray in the spirit like this. He said that was the most powerful weapon against that addiction. He said that just that it was just awesome the way that actually worked out for them. But it's like Psalm 8, verse 2. It's a you know, the heroin addiction is something, I don't have any experience with this either, but I've read this and heard this from people, that the physical aspects of it, you go through hell to, to beat that and, you know, go through that withdrawal. But then once you have the physical thing dealt with, the mental stuff is just like horrific. Just that pressure that comes against your mind and it just like overwhelms you. And that's where that spiritual warfare comes in. And when they would, they would, use this gift that tongues would strengthen them, they would, they would have some real success in this area. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, like I've had this experience where your thoughts just seem to overwhelm you. Like you'll wake up in the middle of the night and you're trying to even pray and you, you can't even pray hardly because you, you just can't get your head together. And you're just being bombarded with all kinds of negativity or just thoughts that are going off in all kinds of directions. And I believe that's where Paul is kind of referencing here. Your, your mind isn't making it happen, and your spirit's got to take care of it. Uh, Paul used this gift extensively. He says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than any of you, but in a church meeting, I'd rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. I mean, nobody else can understand you. What would be the point in the group, right? So he's going like, he would, this is a private prayer language that he used. And in verse 22, he talks about the effect on outsiders. And he says, so you see that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is the, for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they'll think you're crazy. So Paul is like making the point, look, this is great private value. But for in the group, it's something that is, you know, is going to sometimes even be counterproductive. Now, you know, it's interesting. This kind of sheds light, I think, on what happened in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. Because if you remember on the day of Pentecost, they're all gathered together, these, these believers, after Jesus has ascended. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And it says in verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, okay? And then the story goes on. There's this whole crowd that's there. And the crowd, it says in verse 6, well, verse 5, it says they were gathered from every nation under heaven. You've got people from all over the world who have all kinds of different languages there, right? And it says the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So here's a guy from here, here's a guy from there, they're all, and they're all hearing different stuff, I mean, different in their own language. And they're going, aren't these guys who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And they list all these countries. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So here are the, the apostles, and they're speaking the praises of God in the Spirit. 
And these people are all hearing it in their own language. Could this be what Doug mentioned this when he was speaking uh, about 1 Corinthians 12, that ability to interpret. Are they interpreting it there? And then look at verses 12 and 13. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And there are some people, like he said, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, outsiders, and they go, they're crazy. You guys are weird. They're drunk. It's like, it's plain stupid. Now, you've heard people speak in languages you've never heard before, and you knew it was a language. You never thought they were nuts. You never thought they were crazy. But apparently, an outsider hearing this would sometimes feel that same way. And I wonder if that's just basically sheds a little light on Acts 2 there. So, I think, you know, when I think about this section, I go like, well, I don't have this gift. So what does this say to me? But I was thinking, you know what? I, too, have opportunities to praise the Lord. You know, that's one of the reasons why I love coming to Community of Hope on the weekend, where I get to worship the Lord here. And I'm worshiping with my mind. But I'm worshiping the Lord. Nevertheless, I'm lifting up the name of Jesus. So are you. And I think of all the opportunities that I have to praise the Lord at my house and just when I'm on the street and songs that go through my head and I'm singing along with them. And, and then I think about like, hey, I got so many opportunities to say thank you to God, you know, to, to lift him, his name up. You know, every night before and when I lay my head on the pillow, the very first thing that I do is I begin to thank God for all the stuff that happened in the day. And I typically start with what I had for breakfast. You know, and I thank the Lord for just that great bowl of cereal that I enjoyed. So, I mean, it's little stuff like that, but God's continually putting all this little stuff in our lives that we just take for granted. And as I thank the Lord for this and this and this and this, and, and some of those things are so trivial, right? You know, it could be like the Browns actually, you know, beating the Steelers in a playoff. I mean, stuff like that. You know, it quiets my mind and my heart. It sets my heart at rest. It blocks all that worry and fear that I would be running around with. And, and my speech changes from, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? I don't know if you played a what-if game. I do it all the time. You know, it was a couple weeks ago. You know, I woke up with this headache, and my first thought was, is this a brain tumor? I mean, that's stupid, you know? You go like, and I start thinking, no, this, they have all these shelves in the drugstore with pain medication there. There must be other people who have these things all the time. You know, but what if this, what if that? Oh, no, you know, I need to change my speech to those words of praise and those words of thanksgiving to God's got me. He's got my back. He's going to take care of me. No matter what the outcome in the situation, I'm in the palm of his hand. And to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Say thank you in all these circumstances. I need better words in 2021. And I got even better words. You know, Paul talks about prophecy. Now, when we think of prophecy, we many times think of it in terms of foretelling, right? So you go, like, oh, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. But if you look at the Old Testament prophets and you read the book of Isaiah or Jeremiah, there are some predictions of what's going to happen as part of it. But the majority of it is just speaking the words of God into the present situation that people have. And I want you to think of prophecy really for what it is. Not so much foretelling, although that's part of it, but forth-telling. Speaking forth the mind and the counsel of God. You know, it's interesting how God wants to use ordinary people like me and you 
to speak words into people's lives, to speak the now word that we need to hear right now in 2021. And Paul says this when he's describing prophecy, one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Three things. And God is using you and me to do that. He wants to do that, to speak those words of strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. So let's, let's talk about each one of these things for a minute. Strengthens. The word literally means to build a house. What it means is like somebody is like down. Um, they're doing what they think they're supposed to be doing, but it's not going well. Like I'll give you an example from my own life. So I'm, you know, I'm working at Lutheran West this is years and years ago, and there's a good ministry going on, and kids' lives are being changed, but there's a lot of opposition coming against me. And I'm getting a lot of discouraging words and opposition and just frustrating stuff happening from, like, religious leaders in the community. And this wears you down after a while, and I'm just like, man, I don't know how I'm going to be able to keep going on with this. And I remember one day... I was standing, uh, looking out the faculty lounge window, and one of my colleagues came up to me, and he said, Jim, he said, I want you to remember what it says in Philippians 1. He said, it says there that when you come against opposition, when you stand and don't back down, it's a sign to them that you are going to prevail, and they are going to lose. He said, so keep on keeping on with this. And I never forgot those words. Those bolstered me at a time when I really needed it. And maybe it's like there's a time where you're down and you're, you know, you're, like I said, it could be a job thing or it could be a relationship thing or just a long time prayer that just seems to go nowhere. And you're ready to quit and give it up and somebody comes alongside and, and, and builds you up and strengthens you. Speaking God's truth into your life at a time when you really needed it. Yeah, prophecy strengthens us, and we can, we can be that instrument. And it encourages. Now, this word literally means to call to a person. It's the same word used for the Holy Spirit when it's describing him as the counselor. To urge someone to pursue some course of conduct. In this context, it's not about the past, but it's about the future. It's always future-oriented. Like, this is what God wants you to do. This is what he's calling you to do. Do this thing. This is something God's got for you. So many of you know Gordon Lyons. And uh, Gordon, I remember him telling me this story where um, he, was, he was fairly young um, and he had uh, a career decision to make. And he couldn't figure out what he should do. It was like a big move, but it was very risky. And he's weighing this, but he hasn't told anybody about it. And he's praying about it. And there's a Saturday morning, and he's at his church, the church he was going to at the time. It was a leadership meeting. And there were some, uh, uh, some people from another church there who were there to just kind of minister to the leadership of the church that he was at. And then they, they had this meeting, and then they had a break where they went to get coffee and donuts. And while uh, he's munching on a donut here, a guy from that other ministry team who he had never seen before and never saw again came up to Gordon, and the guy looked him in the face, and he said, you are considering a job change, and God is telling you to do it. That's encouragement. Uh, Gordon thought about that, and he prayed about that, and he decided, I'm going to do it. 
And he changed jobs, and it turned out to be a good thing for him. And so there are times in our lives where we can't figure out what to do. We got this big decision. It could be this. It could be that. It could be about, you know, a relationship thing or a job thing or ministry kind of thing. And somebody just comes up, and he speaks into our lives. And it's the word that God is bringing through that person to give us some clarification when we needed it. That's encouragement. And then there's comfort, comforting. Comforting literally means to speak closely with someone. It's like you're down and you're just like, you're just like depressed or you're anxious or something like that. And somebody brings you that word that kind of picks you up at the time when you, when you, when you needed it, when you were just like mourning or you were just thinking things were, were pretty hopeless. And, uh, you know, this is, this is something that happened to Nan. Um, she was, uh, this was when we were living in Lakewood, and we, uh, she had, was going through some real hard times. And she met some women in the neighborhood, some other young mothers, and they had a Bible study. And she started going to that Bible study. And things started happening in her life, and she really came to know the Lord in a personal way that she had never known him before. And then she started worrying about me. And I was pretty hostile to what was happening. Like, what, are you some kind of Jesus freak? What's going on? And in my arrogance and stupidity, I was like, this is so dumb. And, and she was very concerned about me. And she would share that with uh, the other ladies in that Bible study. And they would pray for her and for me. And one week, this woman said, you know, the Lord's been speaking to me about your situation as they were praying over her. And this, this, this woman said, my, she said, the Lord told me, my hand is on the life of your husband, and he is going to do good things for me. I didn't even hear about this for another year or two, but it was like, wow, I can't believe that. But that was a word of comfort, you know, a powerful word that set her heart at ease, and it, made, and it, was, it was just like a, it was speaking closely to someone. It was a word of comfort. It was a big deal. That's what prophecy does. And, you know, Paul says, prophecy is better for the group. If you speak in tongues, you're strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the, the entire church. And that's why Paul says, I wish you could all speak in tongues. But even more, I wish you could all prophesy. Prophecy is thoughtful. You know, sometimes we hear this stuff. We go like, whoa, that's kind of crazy stuff. It's like, what, God's just going to blurt out something? No, he says, it's deliberative. If someone's prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who's speaking must stop. And this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after another, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder and of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. So when the Lord gives us a word like this, we, th we think it through. We go like, well, should I bring it? Is this really from God? And we make a decision about whether we're going to speak to that other person, that word. The spirit of the prophet. Remember that one who prophesies, the people who prophesy are in control of their spirit. You know, it's under the control of the prophets. You know, it's also a powerful evangelistic tool. Paul mentions this in verse 24. But if all of you are prophesying... And unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting. They'll be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. 
As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. I show uh, Danny Falasco's testimony to my ethics classes. Uh, Danny was a guy who was a a high-priced fashion photographer. In fact, he charged $3,000 a day from high-priced magazines to do photo shoots, big-time stuff. Because he had all this money, the temptation was always there to do a lot of drugs, and he eventually fell into a lot of drug use. And one day he was doing a photo shoot with a young woman named Wanda, red-haired woman, beautiful woman, he said. And, uh, you know, he was talking to her, and then she turned to him, and she said, I know you, and you're in trouble. But she said, I want you to know that when you call on the name of Jesus, you will be saved. And Danny Falasco said to her, I will never call on the name of the Lord. And then uh, a couple, a year went by, another year, and he got more and more deeply into drug use. He eventually got fired from his job because he overdosed, and he ends up like abandoning everything and just living on the streets. And he's, he's sick. He's got hepatitis A, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, as well as being addicted to a number of drugs. And one day he thought, you know, I'm dying, and I don't want to die on the streets. So he got on a subway and he went to the hospital because he thought he'd rather die there. And while he's at the hospital, and he's, by the way, he's hearing voices by this time. and These voices are laughing at him and cursing him and, and telling him to kill himself and stuff like this. And he remembers what Wanda said. And he calls on the name of Jesus. And instantly he said, it was like all the voices stopped. And he became a believer. And Jesus rescued him. And from that moment on, he was like a guy who had a ministry, and he was able to lead many people to the Lord uh, before he died in a, a couple of years ago. And that was, it came out of what? A prophecy. Somebody speaking the words of God into his life. It's powerful stuff. You know, um, Paul says this. He goes, well my, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is said. But everything that's done must strengthen all of you. So he's talking about their meetings, and we look at this, we go, like, that's not my experience, you know, all this participatory stuff. And I think we've got to understand that the church back in Corinth was and this is the way the church started. It started as home fellowships. People would come to homes and they would sit together, maybe sit on the floor, and people would like contribute in various ways. But then you know what happened? Church got big and it grew in numbers. And pretty soon there's all kinds of people and start meeting in buildings. And it's like everybody participating just realistically isn't going to work anymore. But that had a bad side effect, didn't it? And what happened was church became more passive, became more of a spectator thing. You know, I saw this online. You know, it's the way most people think about church. They go to church service, a spectator sport that's not very fun. And I'll tell you, that's the way I felt about church most of my life. You know, even when I was a kid, we'd go to church, and we would just sit there and spectate, passively receive. And then we, as we're going home, we'd evaluate. You know, kind of like fans evaluating a quarterback. Well, it was a pretty good sermon today. I didn't like that song. You know, this was, you know, and it was just sort of like a passive kind of thing. 
And, you know, I, I, I wonder, okay, what's the deal here? I mean, how is this going to work? I think the church started as a house church, and it may end as a house church. You know, you see that in China and other countries where the persecution is ramped up, and people are back to being in houses. But, you know, it's, what's interesting is that even here, in a place that's, you know, a larger thing, it's like, I think this is the deal, that God wants me to shake off my passive attitude and let him speak through me to others. You know, I was thinking, in our, as we meet together here, there, there's times, maybe the most valuable ministry times for some, in some times is before the service, when we talk to people, and we share about their lives after the service, when we, you know, it's like Doug was, has been doing the last few weeks, is saying, hey, let's find out what prayer needs are right here. And, you know, when things clear up in the society here, when we go back to that break, I don't know how many times I've come here to Community of Hope and I've talked to people at various times before in the middle of the service and after, and they've spoken into my life and I've been able to speak into theirs. You know, so and I think this is the way that God wants me to be looking at it now is that he wants me to shake off my passive attitude and let him speak through me to others. You know, when he talks about tongues when we gather, hey, you know, it's like, okay, be silent in the church meeting unless somebody's there who can interpret and speak in tongues to God privately. But with prophecy, this last thing that I've talked about here, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. And again, in 1 Thessalonians 5, don't stifle the Holy Spirit don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything that's said. We need to listen carefully and, and test it and pray about it. Is this from the Lord or is this that person's opinion? And weigh these things. They're important things to consider. You know, um, just to give you an example of this from my life, I remember uh, a time when I lost my job at the grocery store. You know, how I work part-time. Uh, especially a lot of times in the summer. And I worked there for about nine and three-quarter years. And just before I got invested in their pension plan, they laid off all the night crews. Okay, so now I got these two months in the summer, and I'm going, okay, what am I going to do, and where am I going to get money? And I go like, um, I start praying about this. Lord, what, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And, and when I teach people about, like, how to pray for wisdom, I always say, you got to be open to whatever God's going to tell you whatever he's going to tell you. So I started thinking, I'm not getting an answer. So I thought, I'll tell God I'll do the, the worst possible thing in my own mind. I'll even do that. So I said, Lord, even if you want me to go to like a third world country where the conditions are primitive and terrible and stuff, I'll do that. Still no answer. I thought, what's worse than that? I thought, working at McDonald's. So I go, Lord, I'll even work at fast food, you know. And I'll tell you what, about two weeks after that, I'm at this church, just kind of visiting. I'd been there a number of times. I knew the pastor and stuff. Just stopped in on a Sunday. And after the service, I'm coming out of the service. And I shake his hand, and he goes, Mr. Fenske. He always called me Mr. Fenske for some reason. He goes, Mr. Fenske, he says, uh, what's, the, what's the fullest extent of your education? I go, well, I got a bachelor's in English from teacher's college. And he goes, I think the Lord is, and he didn't know I was praying about this. He goes, I think the Lord is telling you to go back to school and get a degree in administration. I thought, oh, this is worse than McDonald's. <laughs> I like teaching. 
You know, I like being the guy who bores the audience. I do not like to be in an audience being bored, right? And especially, I don't like research papers. Research papers, all the secondhand material. I can't do this, you know? So I, I thought, I gotta test this word, because I don't want this word to be true. So I decided, this is totally dishonest, I decided I'm gonna write my dad, because my dad never had opinions on anything, okay? And, uh, and I, he had never encouraged me in my education or anything. So I write my dad, Dad, this guy told me I should go back to graduate school, get a degree in administration. What do you think? I thought, I'll never hear from him. I can just blow it off. Three days later, I get a letter back. I mean, first of all, the post office was delivering. What's about that? What's up with that? And then I get this letter from my dad. He goes, I've always thought you should go on in school. Do it. This is my dad? So I thought, I got no excuse now. So I enrolled, I went to Cleveland State, and I, I went through the degree. It was great. It was really great. I mean, I learned so much on so many levels. I made good relationships there, and I got paid more as a teacher, you know, because uh, they pay off on these degrees, right? So it was like, thank you, Lord, you know? And you just, I was, one time I was walking into uh, the office at school. Early in my time as a believer, I was still sports gambling, and, um, I'm coming in and I go, oh, I did terrible this weekend, backdoor cover, how is this stuff always happen in the NFL? And the sophomore girl, I hardly even knew her, she says, I think the Lord's telling you to quit gambling. I'm going, shut up. I didn't say this, but I'm thinking, shut up, you're just a sophomore. I'm a big teacher right here, but I tested, she was right, I quit, you know? Test the word. Now, I, I, got, I know I'm going along, but I gotta tell you this other story. Sometimes your words aren't so good, right? So. Um, I was, this is a Lutheran West, our faculty meeting, and our uh, principal goes, you know, let's meet in groups of three and let's share prayer needs. So we did that. It was, and so the group I was in was me and this other colleague of mine and then this, this young woman. So we're praying and we're giving our needs and this, this woman starts crying. And she starts going, you know what? Uh, my husband and I want to get pregnant. We've tried everything and it's just not happening. And he told us we're never going to have children. So we laid hands on her, and we prayed that they would have a child. And sure enough, uh, you know, a couple months later, she got pregnant. Very cool, you know. Okay, now about five or six months pass, and this one day, the principal says to me, he goes, hey, I, I gotta go to a thing this afternoon. The assistant principal isn't here today. The other administrator is gone. So this afternoon, uh, you're in charge. If anything happens, just you're gonna have to deal with it. Good grief, you know. So I'm going, okay, fine. So that afternoon there was a bomb scare. <laughs> so I have no idea what to do. We didn't have procedures in place. We've got them in place now for all this kind of stuff, but I didn't know what to do. So I very stupidly, I evacuate the building, all the kids in the parking lot, screwing around. We walk around the building. This young woman who's now four or five months pregnant uh, comes up to me. She goes, I'm going home. I'm going, why? She said, because, you know, we got this baby, we got this baby now and I, I can't take this chance. I'm going, no, don't go home. I said, you know what? You are our guarantee that there's no bomb in this building. I said, think about it. This is a miracle, baby. There is no way anything's going to happen here while you're here. I think you ought to stay. I don't know what kind of place. Anyway, um, now what was weird was, first of all, that I actually said that. And, well, first of all, that I was put in charge of the building. But secondly, that I said that. But then she said, oh, okay. So she stayed. <laughs> Test the words you get, okay? Well, obviously nothing happened, everything was good, but you never know if people know what they're talking or if they're really hearing from the Lord, so you pray about that, but we take it seriously. 
And I would say in 2021, I think this is what the Lord is saying to each one of us. I need to be open not only to speak God's counsel into others' lives, but to hear what God is saying to me through others. And you'd be surprised if you're open and you're just willing to hear and you're humble who God will speak to you with, who will bring you that building up, that encouragement, and that comfort in 2021. So let's pray about that. Lord, I just want to pray here this morning. Uh, first of all, I just want to thank you that you're willing to speak through people like me and my brothers and sisters here, and that, um, and that, you, uh, that you care that, that deeply about us like that. And I pray today that you'd give us words of, of strengthening, that you would give us words of encouragement, that you'd give us words of comfort, that we can be your ministers to people. And then I pray, Lord, too, that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd give us an openness to hear whatever you've got to say. Let us be a church that builds up and looks for opportunities to spend time with people and is listening carefully to your voice. And then just give us the discernment to know what you're saying. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.